Welcome to the Bold Darling podcast with me, Lorraine Murphy. This is a show to inspire and empower female founders in pursuit of a wildly fulfilling business and life. I have spent the past 10 years building award-winning businesses, writing best-selling books, and riding the entrepreneurial roller coaster. My greatest lesson learned? There is no point in trying to build a successful business if it involves sacrificing you in the process. From systems to spirituality, from marketing to mindset, from revenue to relationships, on the Bold Darling podcast, you will hear about it all. Because being a successful entrepreneur is about more than just business. It's about being the most fulfilled, brightest version of yourself. Each week, you'll listen in on raw and real conversations with brilliant entrepreneurs and learn from guest experts and members of the Bold Darling community whose insights will change the way you do life and business. Let's get started, shall we? Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Bold Darling podcast. I so hope that you are enjoying the new show. I am loving creating it and hearing all the feedback on the first few episodes. So quick reminder, if you haven't listened to the Start Here episode, how this show will be running is almost like on a four-weekly schedule. So in the first week, there is a episode with me, solo, Lorraine Murphy. (laughs) The second week, then, it's an interview with a leading entrepreneur, In week three, then, it's an interview with a leading expert, so people who can really help us move our businesses forward with their own unique skill set and an IP that they have to share with us, almost like a training episode. And then week four, then, is an episode with a one or two or maybe even three sometimes, Bold Darling members, because there are so many incredible stories within the Bold Darling membership group that I really wanted to make sure that I'm sharing their stories as part of the podcast as well. So this episode that you've just tuned into, thank you, is a solo episode with me. And this is very much an episode that is by very popular request because I am talking about my experience of the Hoffman process. And I attended the process, went through the Hoffman process in the last week of November last year. And I shared a little bit about, hey, I'm here, I'm back. So it was fully offline for the whole experience. And I had many, many requests over Instagram, my mentees in person, getting text messages from friends and mentees saying, can you please do a podcast episode on this? So I wasn't actually planning on doing an episode on it, but based on how many requests I have had, (laughs) I figured I should probably listen and do this episode. And this podcast is very much focusing on how we can be better, do better, live better, work better in, in our lives. And the Hoffman process was certainly a huge game changer for me on that front. So I'll talk a lot more about the process, of course, in this episode. I just want to be really clear, though. Obviously, this is a deeply personal process. Everyone's Hoffman process that they go through is deeply, deeply personal. And it is, as I'll cover, it's the biggest and deepest work that I have ever done. And I've done, I feel, quite a bit of work on myself. So in order to protect, of course, my own, the people close to me, their privacy, and also, of course, the privacy of the other participants, uh, I'm approaching this episode by being quite, uh, 
obviously not sharing names or talking about specific experiences for me or for anyone else. But I really, my intention with this is to give you an overview of the process and I guess to give you my my after experience of having been through it. So if you haven't heard of the Hoffman process, I promise you are not alone because <laughs> one of the biggest questions I got was like, eh, sorry, what's the Hoffman process? What are you doing, Lorraine? So I first actually heard about it in mid, I think it was July 2020. So all those years ago, I heard about the Hoffman process and how I heard about it was I was listening to the Tim Ferriss show, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And Tim was interviewing Blake Mikowski. I hope I'm saying his name right. And Blake is the founder of Tom's. So you're probably familiar with Tom's Shoes. For every pair of shoes you purchase, they donate a pair of shoes to a child in a developing country, or I don't know if it's children or any anyone. So Blake essentially pioneered the whole one-for-one model, which is now a whole trademarked type of do approach to doing business. So I listened to it and was really sparked my interest. He talked about the Hoffman process in the interview with Tim. And I went away and did some research on it and said, hmm, that sounds really, really good. And then last year, another entrepreneur that I really admire, Sophia Omoroso, she shared about it in her email newsletter. She's one of the few newsletters that I like getting in my inbox. So she's the founder of Nasty Gal, then went on to found Girlboss and has since founded Business Class. I got to see her speak at a Business Chicks breakfast when... Oh, I was just pregnant with Lexi. So 2016, I got to hear Sophia speak. And when I saw her speak, it was the morning, basically overnight in Australia, it had broken that her business had gone into liquidation and serious cred to her. She got up on stage and was interviewed on stage dealing with the kind of the fallout of that news going public. So yeah, adore Sophia and, and everything she stands for. So anyway, I knew that Blake had done it. I knew that Sophia had done it. And this year, well, last year I turned 40 and I was also conscious that we were planning our move to Spain. So if you're not kind of tracking our news, we are moving with our family to Spain as I'm recording this in five weeks time. And I was just very conscious that I was going to be living of course, a lot closer to my family in Ireland and just wanted to feel like those relationships with my family there were as great as they could possibly be. So that was another prompt for doing the Hoffman process. So when I sat down to do my goals at the start of 2022, I put on my goals to complete the Hoffman process. And to be honest, I didn't really know how I was going to do it because I was still breastfeeding our little boy Wilder and yeah, had any time away from him yet and didn't really know how it was all going to work. But I decided I put it on my goals. And then when we came back from our Euro adventure in July last year, and I could kind of see the weaning journey coming up for myself and Wilder, I decided to commit and obviously knowing that I was turning 40 in November as well. So I booked in for the process. I kind of just got into the last process of the year that they, they run it in, in Australia, they run it every two months. So yeah, that was how I first heard of it. And that's the why I wanted to do it. In terms of what the Hoffman process is, so it was designed by a man called Bob Hoffman. He was a a psychotherapist in the US. He designed it 55 years ago. And the structure of it is a six and a half day residential retreat. So I arrived on Friday evening and you stay then at the retreat until the following Friday. So it's basically six nights that you're there. Is that right? Six nights. Yes. And then you leave the retreat on Friday lunchtime after a week. And then you are, you basically do what they call a two night solo retreat. So the whole idea is to re-enter into real life gradually. 
when you leave the retreat. So it's held in Byron Bay in Australia. And when you attend it, you are told that you have the six and a half day retreat, which is residential. And then you leave on the Friday. And then the next morning on Saturday morning, you've got a two hour seminar in Byron town in the city center of Byron, town center of Byron. And I thought that was really, really smart how they do it. I'll talk more about that. So essentially it was nine days away from home. I left on home on a Friday and came back the Sunday week. So it was nine nights away and it is held globally. The kind of South Southern hemisphere, the, the epicenter of Hoffman process in the Southern hemisphere is Australia, it seems, because there were two people in our group who flew in from Singapore to attend it. And one person flew in from Dubai to attend the process. The two Singapore participants were saying that they do do some Hoffman activity in Singapore, but the full seven day retreat isn't facilitated in Singapore. So that's why they needed to travel to Australia for it. So yes, I committed in July. I booked the early bird. I put down my deposit straight away. I was like, okay, we're doing this. We're committing. And I guess in terms of how I was feeling beforehand, I was feeling really nervous because of course, I know that I'm heading on like some very, very deep work. When I put it on my goals in January, I had a catch up with one of my friends, Katie, who had completed the process. I think she did it maybe two, three years ago. And I said to her, look, this is on my goals. What do you think? And she said, yeah, do it. hundred percent do it. And I asked her not to tell me too much about it because she actually said she herself didn't know much going into it. And she was really glad that she didn't. So yeah, I was feeling really nervous of the unknown. I was also nervous about being away for nine days. The most I had been away since Wilder was born was four nights. Yes. To host the Bold Darling retreat in Noosa. And yeah, just nine nights away felt big. I was nervous about sharing a room because you have the option to have your own accommodation. But I just said, Lorraine, you're going here to be uncomfortable. Like, why don't you just max out on the discomfort? And I chose to share a room and yeah, I was nervous, but you know, who are the other people going to be there? What are they going to be like? Am I going to like them? It's seven days in a retreat with them. I was also really nervous about the food because I really, really love my food and I'm quite fussy about my food. So I don't say I'm fussy. I'm just particular. I like my food and I like my food how I like it. So yeah, I was nervous about the food. And what happens then is you get sent a a whole chunk of pre-work to do before the process. They say it takes six to eight, eight hours. It probably took me about four hours to get it done. And what that's really about is giving yourself an audit of your life right now, like checking in on the different areas of your life. It also asks you to identify the different negative patterns that you run in your life and asks you to identify whether or not you got those from your mother or from your father. So yeah, I have to say the pre-work was a bit confronting. Um, I was working on it one evening after the kids were in bed and Wade was working next to me in the office at home and I burst into tears at one point. And it was about, if you're not familiar with our story, we lost two babies to miscarriage in 2019. And yeah, they ask a question around, you know, have you ever lost a baby? And I burst into tears and I didn't, yeah, that took me by surprise. I just said to Wade, I don't know how this is going to go. This feels like I'm, it was a very, very comprehensive chunk of pre-work and was nervous about that as well. And I can understand, I kind of said, oh, can we just do this on the process? But I can actually see having been through the process now, how valuable that pre-work is because that essentially lays the whole foundation for what you go on and work through in the process. So I arrived on the Friday afternoon. I flew, flew into Byron and arrived at the retreat. They ask you to arrive between, I think it was 2 and 5 p.m. I got there just before 5 and I yeah, went, signed in, got my like my bag, my big 
ring binder full of workbook exercises, got my water bottle and someone brought me to my room. And it was just strange because obviously I was sharing a room and I got there. My roomie wasn't there. She was down at the pool. And <laughs> just like you kind of walk into the room and, and it was actually really clever at the actual retreat. Oh, what's it called? Samsara, I think it's called. The actual tr- retreat center where it's held, how they designed the shared rooms was really cool because I was, so we had like a small kitchen, which we never used because all the food was provided. We had our bathroom downstairs and then we had like the living room, dining area, like a little kind of balcony or seated area. And my bed was downstairs, like in that living room, it has a screen next to it. And then my roomie was upstairs. So like in a mezzanine level. So yes, we were sharing a room and I could hear her and see her and she could hear me and see me. But just that level of separation made me feel much better about sharing a room. And then she came back and I was like, hi, hi, I'm your roomie. And she was lovely, like straight away. I was like, yes, you're awesome. I really, really rated her. So yeah, it was just funny, like looking at someone's shoes that they put by the front door going, hmm, what do these shoes tell me about you as a person? So yeah, we settled in, I unpacked that night and then dinner was at, God, I can't remember now time, 6.30 maybe. So went up to dinner and I walked up at my roomie and it just felt really nervous. I was like, you know, walking into a room with these people, knowing you're going to be spending a full week with them and doing some really deep work together. I was like, oh my God. So yeah, I felt really nervous. I went and introduced myself to people and yeah, sat down we had dinner and had some like nice chats with the people around me. And it felt like everyone was a bit like obviously apprehensive, a bit nervous and just a bit like, what the fuck are we in for (laughs) with this whole Hoffman process situation? So yeah, then the process started properly on Saturday morning. So the rule within the process is no phones, no devices, no books, no meditation, no yoga, no exercise, no running. So I was a bit like, oh, it was actually quite a nice ease in because I was able to call Wade and the kids on Saturday morning and message my friends. My friend Stacy sent me a message. She was like, I just want to check, are you feeling safe? And I was like, yes, I'm feeling safe. Why? And she was like, well, you're there for a week and I just want to make sure that you're safe. I'm like, you're such a sweetheart. So yeah, it was just a nice easy and like to be able to call people and show the kids around my room and well, Lexi, because Wilder wouldn't give a care, give a shit. And yeah, so that just felt nice. And then we started the process. So a lot of the first day was about, I guess, orientating us with the process and how it works and kind of core tenets of what Hoffman process is built on. And I just want to share a little bit about that with you. And, and I really don't want this episode to be a spoiler alert. If you do go do the Hoffman process, I promise it won't be that. But I just want to give you, and this is all available publicly anyway, just a couple of the key tenets because it might just help you understand the process more. So what the process is built on, it's, I guess, a four-stage cycle. So if you can just like in your mind's eye, visualize like a cycle. And at the top of that cycle is the is awareness. So that means you know, becoming aware of our own patterns, our own challenges, our own, you know, just us as generally. And of course, the patterns of, of other people around us. So that's the first thing is to build that awareness in ourselves. And that's why I felt the pre-work was so good because straight away before you even kind of land at the process, you're already, you've got that awareness building because you've done that, that self-exploration around what that awareness would be. The next thing then that gets focused on is expression. So expressing 
whether it's anger or resentment or frustration or joy or love or whatever the emotions that might be experienced. So the second stage of the process is expression. The third stage of the process then, if you kind of come around to kind of the bottom of our cycle that we're building the circle, is forgiveness and compassion. So for ourselves and for others. And then the fourth stage of the cycle of the process is new behaviors. And then it comes all the way back up to awareness. So it's awareness, expression, forgiveness and compassion, and new behaviors. And that's essentially the cycle that you run through many, many times over during the process. And then once you've completed the process, it's the cycle that you then get to bring into your life beyond that. So that was just one core one that I wanted to share with you. The other one that I wanted to share with you as well is the that the whole basis of the Hoffman process is built on the quadrinity model. So the quadrinity model. And what that is, essentially says that each of us as individuals is made up of four core parts. Okay. And that's the quad, the quadrinity. So the first part of us is our emotional self. So that emotional self, it's, I guess the simplest way to explain it is your, your emotional child. Like it's that in inner emotional being that has been with us, of course, since we're raised. And of course, that is very much shaped by the experiences that we have in our childhood, particularly our early childhood. So the emotional self is the first part of the quadrinity model. The second part of the quadrinity model is your intellect. So that's all the thinking, all the planning, all the doing, your intellect, you know, all the ways that it serves you, and then all of the ways that it gets in your way as well. So that's the intellect. The third part of the quadrinity model is your body. So of course, how you're feeling in your body, your how you get about day to day. But also, as I learned in the Hoffman process, your body is such an incredible wealth of knowledge as well around your emotions, maybe repressed emotions, fear, trauma, all of the things like your body is almost like your treasure chest of all that incredible data. And that was something I had never fully appreciated before. I know, of course, I've done a lot, well, not of course, but I have done a lot of kinesiology, done a lot of body work, all the things. And I'm a big fan of Louise Hay's work as well, the, the American healer. But I feel like I got to understand the data source that my body is and the incredible tool that my body is in terms of navigating intellect and emotional self as well at the Hoffman process. So that's number three is your body. And then number four then is your spiritual self. So that's like the highest version of yourself. So if you've kind of done some spiritual work or reading, your higher self is something that is talked about quite a bit. And that's the Hoffman terminology for that is your spiritual self. So that's the part of us that is free of any anger, judgment, frustration. It's the highest version of us, essentially. So that's the quadrinity model. And I just wanted to give you that kind of as a basis as well, because it might just help as I talk through the process for the purposes of this episode. So just recap quickly, four elements of ourselves based on the quadrinity model in the Hoffman process are the emotional self, the intellect, the body, and the spiritual self. And again, that was something that was introduced to us on the very first morning, and that's something that we constantly came back to. And what became really interesting, and I should cover this later on in this episode, was the interplay between each of those different parts. Like, for example, we talked about how when the emotional self and the intellect get together and they're essentially in conflict on a particular situation, they call it the shitty committee. You know, when you've got your inner child essentially trying to get your intellect on board, then your intellect essentially trying to squash down your your inner child. Like, it's, (laughs) it's the shitty committee. It's pretty cool. So, yeah. That was Saturday morning. They really introduced us to the kind of core tenets tenets of the process. So there was 23 of us in the group, all very, very different people. 
And I observed that the two biggest triggers for people being there or prompts for people to commit to doing the Hoffman process were end of a relationship, like a long-term relationship, and also death of a parent or death of both parents. So that seemed to be the real prompt for people to go, okay, I I really want to come do this. And I guess I feel really grateful that I came and did it before each of either of these <laughs> those events happen because yeah it just gives you a chance to approach those key relationships whether it's with parents or partners with a whole different perspective and set of tools so I'll talk more about kind of the after of the Hoffman process in a few minutes so we were in a group of 23 and then we got split into three smaller groups so for probably 80 to 90 percent of the process we were with the whole group together all 23 of us in a room and then strategically then for different parts of the process we got broken into our small groups and that was really really beautiful because the relationships and the bond that we had within each of our small groups because we were in those small groups for the, the whole time and we had one there was four facilitators so with three facilitators and there's one facilitator who was in training And then there was one logistics person who was kind of managing kind of all the the behind the scenes and coordination of the process. So each of our small groups had one of those lead facilitators. And yeah, there was a really, I felt very safe in the larger group. And that's really beautifully done how the facilitators do that. And then with that smaller group, it was like a whole other level of safety and love and comfort and connection I felt really, really bonded to my small group and the other groups reported the same as well. So I think that was really lovely how they do that because you get that incredible exposure to different people's experiences and perspectives on what's being shared in the process. But then you get that really beautiful kind of almost like that safe place to land in your smaller group as well. I thought that was really, really beautifully done. So yeah, one and a half days in, I'm like, this is great by this, you know, the retreat's beautiful, getting on really great with people. (laughs) But I probably don't really need to be here. Like, you know, I'm choosing to be here. This is great. I kind of felt a bit like I was describing it to friends. Like, you know, you. I don't know if anyone, if you've ever read Rachel's Holiday by Marion Keys, you know, when someone goes to rehab and they're like, I don't even need to be here. What? This is fine. And then (laughs) you kind of have a moment where you're like, oh, fuck, yeah, I really need to be here. So halfway through day two, I had a pretty big response in one of the one of the exercises. And I actually asked my facilitator, I pulled my facilitator aside before lunch and just said, look, I'm not coping. Like that really frightened me. And just to be clear, it wasn't the actual exercise itself that was frightening. It was my response to it. And I think <laughs> it's a real Hoffman thing to say, you know, it's not ever the situation we're in or the people that we're with that are the problem. It's our response to them, essentially. And yeah, so I had a chat with my facilitator and I just said, look, I'm really rattled by that. And I was really nervous then because I knew that we were moving into the expressive part of the cycle. Remembering step one is awareness, step two is expression. And I knew that was going to be a very big experience in the room with 23 of us expressing (laughs) repressed emotions. And I was really, really nervous about that and wanted to cop out. And I, again, very Hoffman, my emotional self was like, I don't want to deal. Like, this is too big. I don't want to deal with this. So I was chatting to my facilitator before that experience, before lunch. And we chatted again later on that evening. And he said something really powerful, you know, he said, you are having a trauma response right now. That's what's happening. And that's what I mean by that body. Your body knows (laughs) what's going on because my body just went into like a full trauma response in that experience earlier on that day. 
And he said, this is what you need to move through. This is what you need to express so that you can move forward um, without almost like this trauma response weighing your body down. And he said, you need to fight fire with fire because what you can do is choose not to show up for yourself here, or you can choose to fight this fire with your own fire. And he said, you know, you need to find this fire in you to do that. And that evening we went into our first big expressive exercise, which basically meant there was 23 of us in a room with almost like a European size pillow, like a big cushion on front of us on the floor. We were handed gloves to protect our hands and we were given a yellow plastic baseball bat and we whacked that cushion for three hours that evening. We had a break halfway through for dinner. but we went to town on those cushions. And that was the experience that I was really afraid of doing. And I was feeling really teary as it started, like they played very loud music. And within about 30 seconds, I was like, this is the best thing ever. (laughs) Because I was shifting like stuff that I've been carried around since, you know, I was born basically, you know, 40 years of carrying this shit around. And then you finally get the opportunity to express it in a very controlled very supportive. It's a very structured process. You know, you don't just give in a cushion, like there's a whole process that you work through and there's a whole methodology that you're working through while you're doing the bashing of that cushion. And yeah, I was standing for, there was about 60% guys, there are 40% women in the group. And I was standing bashing the cushion and gradually each of the women in the group knelt down and like knelt down to do their bashing. And I was like, I was like a woman possessed. I was like, I am not sitting down. I am dealing with this. You know, it was fire times a million. And I stood for the entire thing for three hours. I stood bashing that cushion, (laughs) completely screwed my back. Like, (laughs) bless them. They have this whole box of like tape for you to, I had to tape up my hands because I got a blister and I've still got a little, little mark from it, which is like my badge of honor from my expression at the Hoffman process. They've got like deep heat and yeah, like body painkillers, old things, muscle painkillers, muscle relaxants. So yeah, that was a very, very big experience. And I can honestly tell you, it was one of the most natural, natural highs that I've ever had in my entire life. Like up there with giving birth, it was incredible. I felt so high, so free and so like really proud of myself like for showing up to an experience that I was terrified of doing, genuinely physically terrified of doing. And I did it and I felt incredible afterwards, like absolutely incredible. And from there, then we moved into, we had another day of doing some more expressive practices. And then it's almost like the expression is kind of peppered through the rest of the process as well. But that day too was, was the big expressive day. And then from there, then remembering stage one is awareness, stage two is expression. And then the third stage of the Hoffman process is forgiveness and compassion. And this was incredibly powerful. And it's interesting how they build the work. You know, I don't think I could have gone straight to forgiveness and compassion for myself and for others if I hadn't have shifted all that crap. It's like you declutter your home. Like we're in the process of decluttering our house like massively right now because we're pretty much offloading everything to move to Spain. And it's like trying to make your house look really beautiful and put in like some new curtains and and polish up the floorboards and give everything a fresh lick of paint. But you're doing that while all your old crap is there, you know, all the old possessions that are broken or torn or ripped or stained or don't fit anymore, just aren't needed anymore. Like they're all still sitting in that house. So that's how I saw it. It was almost like the expression on that big day of expression was clearing all the crap. 
And then the forgiveness and compassion is almost just coming in and taking everything to the next level. And that was incredibly powerful. I don't want to talk much about it because it's, yeah, if you do do the Hoffman process, I want you to kind of go on your own journey of it. But yeah, in short, you confront your own death and what that would be like. And you go through some like expressive writing exercises. So the expression as part of the Hoffman process isn't all bashing shit and ripping shit. A lot of it is expressive writing as well, which I really, really enjoyed and found incredibly cathartic and got me to places, particularly with the forgiveness and compassion part. It got me to places, the expressive writing that I can't imagine ever being able to get to. Like if you had told me going into the Hoffman process that I would experience complete unconditional love for the people in my life, I would never have believed you. And that's where it got me to that forgiveness and compassion piece. And of course, that forgiveness and compassion for myself, you know, that inner mean girl as Melissa Ambrosini is alive and well in in many of us. And it's not to say that you completely resolve your inner mean girl, but you become a lot more tuned into which part of you is talking at any one time. (laughs) Is it your emotional self? Is it your intellect, your body or your spiritual self? You start to become very attuned to that. And again, that, that sense of awareness then helps you navigate whatever that kind of inner mean girl is saying because you know who's saying it and and how you can then manage it so the forgiveness and compassion piece was enormous absolutely enormous for me and then the next stage well it was kind of came straight off the back of forgiveness and compassion because as you can imagine you know the first three four days of the process is it's quite heavy you're really like and exciting and thrilling and powerful and all the wonderful liberating all of the things but you're really going into your deepest darkest parts of you and your shame and your guilt and all of the things and then what they create it's really cool like almost straight off the back of the kind of halfway through one of the days we completed the forgiveness and compassion piece and then we went into play so pretty much they told us to go for a swim at lunchtime and we were like sorry what it's like normally it's like okay timings and we weren't allowed to talk for some of it as well like we had a good 24 hours at one point where we were really in it And in terms of the process and the facilitators explained that they didn't want us talking to each other because they want us to be in it. You know, it's so easy to get distracted by talking to someone else or, you know, picking up a book or meditating, whatever it might be. And they really wanted us to be in it ourselves. So there was a good 24 hours where we were asked not to talk. And it was uncomfortable initially, but then because everyone's doing it and everyone knows that that's the rule, it's fine. But um, yeah, when we did the forgiveness and compassion piece around lunchtime. Then we were told, go for a swim and you're allowed to talk to each other. And we were like high on life going, oh my God, we can talk to each other. This is so exciting. And then, so it was like the vibe changed massively at that point in the process. So we all went had a swim, came back to the room after lunch and we played from 2 p.m. until 11 p.m. that night. We played and it was incredible. I actually feel emotional just thinking about it. It was incredible. We had dance-offs. You know, you've got 23 adults, including the facilitator, well, 23 plus the facilitators, dancing their asses off, you know, zero substances included, involved. And we're just dancing our asses off in a random room in the middle of Byron Bay. You know, we're dancing. We played party games. We went for dinner. There was beautiful. It's beautiful. Like the whole experience and how the facilitators do it. I don't want to tell you because it will ruin the surprise and it's magical. Beautiful experience that evening. And then after dinner that evening, 
we were split into our small groups and we had to create like a skit of the process so far. So each of our groups performed and we dressed up as each other. And it was so fun, like so fun. And actually over dinner, we were each asked to stand up and do a little share about, you know, what we were experiencing. And and someone before me in the group stood up and said, I haven't played like this. I haven't felt light like this since I was a child. And I got up straight after her and I said, I've never felt like this. I feel even as a child, I was so self-conscious and a bit, you know, just aware of what other people were thinking and, and, and whatever. And I said, I have never played feeling as free as I played today. And that was life-changing to know that I can access that. It was really, really, really incredible. So yeah, we played. It was super fun because a huge part of the Hoffman process is reconnecting you with that sense of childhood magic and wonder and maybe giving yourself experiences or love or affirmations and support that maybe you didn't feel you got as a child. And for me, that was just so beautiful to get the opportunity to play carefree in a way that I never allowed myself to be when I was a child. It's really, really magical. So the next piece then of the process, so remember we've done awareness, we've done expression, we've done forgiveness and compassion. And the fourth part of the process then is new behaviors. And I have to say, I feel the Hoffman process did such a beautiful job of this because I think I could have left after the forgiveness and compassion and the play and gone, woo, I feel amazing. I feel transformed. Like, let me back in the world. And I felt ready to come back into the world other than, you know, all the responsibilities of home and business life going back, going back into the real world. But they really spend two and a half, I would say, solid days getting us ready to go back into the real world. And those new behaviors, we have so many tools now that we we role played, like we practiced with each other in the group and to really get us ready to go back into the real world and to have those new behaviors that when the inevitable triggers that come up in our lives come up again, that we won't, you know, spark off in the way, run those negative patterns that maybe we used to run. And actually something I didn't share from day one in the Hofbrand process, they talk a lot about the left road and the left road is like that progressive moving away from your high self, you know, your, the best version of your life and yourself, that if you just day by day make decisions that don't support you and support the people around you, that you end up on the left road, which is not a great road where it's, you know, relationships are affected. Maybe relationships have broken down, relationships haven't been healed. You're not having the success in your life, whether it's business career wise, you know, you're not having that success. So the left road is pretty shit to be fair. And then the right road is that when you're in a situation where you have a choice point that you can react in a way that you would, you know, pre Hoffman process, you would have reacted and you can go continue going down that left road or at that choice point, you can say, actually, I'm choosing the right road. And that's when you kick in with your new tools, your new behaviors that you've learned in the process. So that choice point has been really powerful for me since the process. And I'll talk a bit more about that shortly. So yeah, with those new behaviors, as I said, there are so many tools. There's probably 15 different tools that I have now in my toolkit that I didn't have before the Hoffman process. And I feel like in the past, like there's tools that I've used, you know, taking 10 deep breaths and tapping, which I found really, really great, or my meditation or whatever the different tools that I've used. There's something about the tools that I have now from the Hoffman process that are so incredibly effective. And I think it's because they are built on that awareness. You know, it's that, okay, the awareness of, okay, where am I at right now? Which one of my kind of four parts is speaking to me right now? And what is the tool then that I need to use in order to get myself back on the right road and not, you know, hurtle down the left road, burning myself and other people around me. So 
those new behaviors are, are really, really powerful. I just want to give you a couple of examples of them. So there's one which they introduced to us. And just so you know, like the facilitators are either psychologists or psychotherapists who have years and years of experience in their own practices. They each then came and did the Hoffman process themselves, discovered the magic of it, and then went and became trained, like became trained in facilitation. So some of the concepts in the Hoffman process are more from kind of broad psychology, psychotherapy, and some are more specific to the Hoffman process. So one thing that they explained, they shared with us, which I think is a more broad concept rather than Hoffman's specific, was the Cartman Triangle. So the Cartman Triangle is essentially, if you can imagine like a triangle where the fattest part is the bottom, so it's not inverted, it's just a normal triangle. And on the bottom left, you've got victim. When we go into victim mode, like someone has hurt me, therefore I'm going to, you know, I can't believe they did this to me. I'm so hurt, you know, etc. You know what victim mode is. And then what we do then is then we move into perpetrator where we're like, I can't believe they did that. That's it. I'm going to do this to them, or I'm not going to talk to them, or we go into perpetrator mode. And then we kind of come back down to the bottom right of the circle, the triangle, and we come into martyr mode. So that's, you know, even though they did this to me, I am going to be the bigger person and this is what I'm going to do. And then really, you're still in victim mode. So the kind of the triangle, the cycle continues. So I found that really, really helpful, the Cartman triangle. The other thing they taught us was a vicious cycle where we behave in a certain way. This one's a bit more convoluted, so I'm not going to step through it exactly, but top line, The vicious cycle is we display some kind of behavior, like one of our negative patterns. And just to give you an example of what a negative pattern is, it might be withdrawal, it might be judgment of others, it might be lashing out, it might be stonewalling. There's so many different, you know, patterns that we can have. So we display a certain pattern and then we feel ashamed, which then brings us on to our most deepest toxic shame, which is something that you work through in the process. Then you start to get into like, okay, this is the pattern that you do to avoid that. And then it just goes and vicious cycle. And it was really interesting when one of the facilitators was stepping through the vicious cycle and I could almost plot like myself and Wade's, and I really loved Glennon Doyle in her podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. She did an episode with her wife, Abby, and they talked about the five most common fights that they have as a couple. And it was interesting going through that vicious cycle because I could almost plot myself and Wade's most common fights on there or a business experience, like something that can be really triggering for me in business. I can see how that becomes a vicious cycle. So really, really powerful stuff. And then again, the whole point of this is the new behaviors, because then when you behave in a different way, you avoid the whole shit show in the first place. The other thing that was really, really helpful was the concept of recycling, recycling. And what that is, is you become aware of your own patterns. So you go, oh, okay, I'm in this pattern right now. And then we were taught a couple of different ways that we can recycle those patterns. So it essentially means transitioning from being in that pattern that's not serving you. So for example, one of mine is withdrawal. So if I'm upset with Wade, for example, I'll just withdraw. Like I won't want to talk to him. I will just pull right back. So when I can feel now that I'm in withdrawal, I've got a couple of different ways that I can recycle that. So there's one way, which is more of like a long form recycling. It's like a visualization and you kind of move your body in a certain way to do that recycling. But the other way is more of a kind of like (laughs) a quick and dirty, which is something, it's a gesture that I have that I can do. And I can be sitting there with someone else and they won't even realize that I'm doing it. It's a gesture that each of us developed and practiced within the process. So it just means that when I'm in that process of that pattern of withdrawal, that I don't just kind of, again, go through that whole vicious cycle, which turns into, you know, 
a whole day of me being shitty with Wade and not being able to resolve it with him and him not being able to resolve it with me. Instead, it kind of just nips it in the bud and goes, okay, Lorraine, I go, I'm withdrawing right now. Okay, how can I get out of that pattern? So I can do the long form recycling. And I actually don't do that as much now. A few weeks off from the process, I tend to just do my little gesture that I do. And each of us has a different gesture that we learned within the process. So that recycling has been amazing because think about it. If you're at that choice point where someone has done something that has upset you and you can go, okay, I can go down the left road and get really pissed and behave and, you know, just run all the patterns that I've probably run for my entire life. Or I can be at that choice point and go, okay, I want to do better. I want to be on the right road. Therefore, I'm going to recycle this pattern and get back on the right road. Like, holy crap. (laughs) How incredibly freeing and empowering is that? So, yeah, last couple of days of the process, two and a half days is very much about that, those new behaviors. And then we finished up on Friday at lunchtime. But actually, before we, before I share that, I just want to say on the last night. So the Hoffman process in Australia is run by a man called Volker. He's a German guy who's been in Australia 33 years, he said. The most incredible man. My God, he's incredible. And we were singing together. We did a lot of singing together as a group and we had sang a song all together and I know you're probably listening to this going, that sounds batshit crazy, but it's so beautiful. Like the music is so beautiful. And I said to Volker, we were all expressing gratitude for each other. And, and I said to Volker, like I just gave him a big hug and I said, he's in his mid to late sixties. And I said, he's a really tall man. I was kind of on my tippy toes looking up at them to give him a hug. And I said, this is magical. I said, what I've experienced this week and on that night, we were all on like natural highs. I said, this is magical. And he gave me a huge hug and I'm still so touched thinking about it. And he looked straight in my eyes and he, with tears in his eyes, he started crying and he said, you know what, Lorraine, this is the closest thing to magic I have ever experienced in my life. And that's what it is. Like, I really believe the Hoffman process is magic, absolute magic. Okay, breathe. So the next day we finished up at lunchtime and we headed back. So we were asked, each of us, and they said this in the pre-departure instructions, like take this time for yourself. And my automatic was like, well, I'm sure like the bulk of the work is done in the process. And I can't imagine they do that much in the seminar on Saturday morning. So I just fly back on Friday afternoon because, you know, that's a week away from the kids and the family. And I want to get back to business. And for once, I actually listened to the instructions. (laughs) I said, I said to Wade, babe, I'm just going to do what they say and take the extra two days. And he's like, cool, baby, you do what you need to do. So I booked two nights in an Airbnb, which was the weirdest thing, right? I booked this Airbnb and I got there. One of my beautiful fellow participants dropped me off and it was two of the the guys and they like lifted my suitcase out and like came in and make sure I was settled. And I said, this road feels really familiar. And I looked back at my past Airbnb bookings And it was actually on the same road, the same street in Byron as the retreat. I did this solo retreat in early 2021 to finish writing my Step Into You book. So that was the same street. I was like, this is mental. So yeah, I took those two nights and they had warned us leaving, not warned us, but they'd flagged with us that you need to be very gentle with yourself because you have changed so much. And they explained that you are essentially in an altered state of consciousness when you go back into the real world after the Hoffman process. And I got in to my Airbnb and it was beautiful. And it was beautiful, but it wasn't like the most incredible place I've ever stayed. But I just cried tears of gratitude to be in this space and to have had the experience that I had. 
I really miss my participants already, my fellow participants already. Like I made a few friends in there that I know will be friends for life and not friends like, you know, we would call each other every day or anything like that, but just such a really deep soul connection that I know if I ever needed something or I wanted to, you know, two years time, I want to debrief on something with someone who also has done the Hoffman process. I know that those people will be there and they know that I will be there. It's yeah, incredible gift. That's all I can describe it as. So I went in and sat there and just cried tears of gratitude for the whole experience that I had. I called Wade. He was on his way to the gym. In the end, he didn't go to the gym because we talked for an hour in the car and he was in the car. And we just had the most beautiful conversation. Like, I just felt like my heart was so open. And I'm so glad we actually got to do that because I called him later on when he was with the kids. And of course, it's like distractions central. So I really felt like I invited him into that really beautiful heart open space and he got to feel that. He said he could really feel it. So yeah, and then just had a really quiet eve. I went for dinner and stocked up my Airbnb with food for the next couple of days. And then the next morning we had our seminar. So it's really smart how they do it because that seminar keeps you in Byron. Like it was a really good pull not to kind of go out and do something else or get home early. So I think that was really good. It was really nice to see everyone again out in the real world. And it was almost like a way of weaning ourselves off each other and off the facilitators and the structure of the program because it's highly structured. And yeah, again, it was very much about, okay, working on our patterns and readying ourselves even more to go back into the real world. And then from there, and we also had quite a lot of post-process work. We had a lot of writing to do and I ticked through that. I really wanted to get it done in Byron because I knew once I re-entered real life, it wasn't going to happen. And it definitely wouldn't happen as well as I could do it when I had the space to do it. So yeah, and then flew back to Sydney on Sunday afternoon. And it was actually really cool. Something that you can recycle patterns. So when you're in a pattern, you can recycle it at that point. But the other thing that we got taught to do was pre-cycling, which is where you can almost like preempt any patterns that you might have coming up and something we all pre-cycled in our small groups going back home for the first time. And I pre-cycled that because of course I wanted to walk in and everything was lovely and I could just chill and enjoy the kids and wait and dinner was organized and all the things. And I pre-cycled coming home and, you know, how I would feel going in the door and, and did the whole like process on that, the whole exercise on that, the tool. And I walked into home and Wilder was asleep. Lexi and Wade are out in the back garden gardening. And I had like visualized like scooping Lexi up and giving her this massive hug. And she was filthy. She had mud like on her eyelids everywhere. <laughs> and Wade was like, I'm so sorry. This gardening has taken longer. I wanted like everything lovely when you came home and the garden beautiful. And and it was just so lovely because I just laughed. I was like, it's fine. It's fine. And I said like, is dinner organized after a while? I've been back. I was like, is dinner organized for tonight? And he said, yes, I've taken a couple of dinner ladies things out of the freezer. And he'd taken out like two meals for one, like these kind of chicken shawarma bowls, which are amazing by the way. And I was like, okay, that's not going to feed four of us. And he's like, oh shit, I'm so sorry. And I was like, it's fine. Let's go to the pub. Let's go get Sunday roast. So we trotted off and had Sunday roast. And then we're sitting there with like Wilder, like flinging himself across the table, Lexi refusing to eat her dinner and me and Wade trying to have a conversation. And I just went, whoa, man, (laughs) completely forgot how challenging parenting was with nine days away from it. And Wade's just sitting there like he's so on, like all his reflexes are like primed. Whereas I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I was rusty. So yeah, that pre-cycling was really, really cool as well. So in terms of biggest observations, 
And I've also got some questions. So I wanted, because I did a shout out on Instagram to ask, you know, what are your questions for when I do this podcast episode? Because so many people asked, I was like, okay, I'm going to do the episode. What do you want me to talk about? And I had a lot of questions. So I want to cover my biggest observations because that will answer a few of the questions that got asked. So what are my observations? First of all, I am so, 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 so. There aren't enough so's in the world. I'm so glad I did it. It was the greatest gift to myself, to Wade, our kids, my parents, my sister, my sister's kids, my business, my friendships. I'm so glad I did it. And you know, I'm like, oh, I wish I'd done this 10 years ago, but I feel like I did it at the perfect point in my life. I think the turning 40 was a big one for me. And it just felt like the right time to do it. Like I'm not looking back and going, oh, I wish I'd done this 10 years ago. I feel like it was the right time to do it. That said, I would say to you, if you feel pulled, like don't delay, like just go do it, make it happen. The other observation that I have from doing the process was the incredible amount of genuine conversations that we had as a group. All the fluff fell away. Like we were asked not to talk about work, not to kind of bring stuff from home life in unless we felt like it was relevant. And that was actually honestly quite scary for me because I feel like so much of my identity is who I, you know, my business and what I do and what I stand for and my family and all the things and, you know, my friendships and where we live and it's my identity. So to be asked to put that to the side for a week, that was actually quite uncomfortable and which was really telling for me that, okay, you need to do this more, <laughs> Lorraine. And so I think that, yeah, just the depth of the conversations that we had as, as a group, like it was incredibly bonding, but it just made me realize how top line so many conversations can be in our lives. And I know one person stood up one one evening as part of their sharing and said that they had had more genuine conversations in that week than they had had in their entire life to date. And that person was late thirties, I think. So, you know, that's big. That's really, really big. And yeah, that bonding, as I've already talked about, that sense of friends for life, that mutual support. And it's a crazy thing. I remember at one point in one of the, the kind of bashing exercises, we were having to, <laughs> we were asked to write all our most negative thoughts about ourselves. It's like, it's essentially the dark side of your intellect. It's that real inner mean girl stuff going on. And we were asked to write it all down. Like your most innermost, crappiest, horriblest, most vindictive, crappy stuff that you say to yourself. And then we bashed it essentially, like we broke it into pieces. And we were doing this exercise and I had like in my small group, a guy on each side from my small group, like we're really, really close. And like this pieces of paper flying everywhere because you've got 23 people bashing the crap out of the dark side of their intellect. And like this paper flying onto me and onto my cushion and all the things. And I was like picking it up and like saying, okay, no, that's not my writing. That's his. And that's not my writing. That's the guy on the other sides. And they're doing the same for me. You know, you're literally sharing your deepest, darkest thoughts. And just how that feels so safe and so supported. It's, yeah, it's really, really, really mind-blowing. And the other observation that I had was how plastic my brain and emotions actually were and are, that I feel like, and of course I still go into my patterns and all the things, but I really feel like there's been a very deep rewiring of myself and a rewiring that supports me on the right road as opposed to the left road. And just the fact that you can do, actually Volker used the language at one point and I was like, Jesus, that sounds scary, but he's right. He said, it's essentially, because it was all about, you know, priming us to go back into the real world as part of that whole conversation. And he said, you have all experienced psychological surgery and that's what it has felt like. I feel profoundly changed, like profoundly changed. And that's huge, huge. And just the level of 
self-sovereignty that that has given me that actually it's not, you know, my emotional child going crazy, ruling, you know, me having a tantrum or having a meltdown or whatever it might be, or it's not my intellect getting in my way and telling me all the reasons that I can't succeed at something or my body, you know, screaming out to me with some kind of a, a sensation and I'm not listening to it. It's felt like I am now in a position that my spiritual self can be, you know, in charge of driving the car. And of course, that's not always the case. I slip into kind of the left road frequently, but it's just about knowing that now I've got those tools to get me back on that right road. That sense of sovereignty and self-governance is incredible, absolutely incredible. The other observation that I have after completing the process, and I don't feel like you've ever completed the process because you're still using all your tools, was that lightness from clearing so much shit, like all that expression work that we did, whether it was written or physical expression, all the sharing that we did as a group, all the crying that we did, the laughing, just the clearing, like the energetic, deep, 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 energetic, emotional, physical, spiritual cleansing that we did. There's such a lightness that comes out the other side of that. And it's really interesting because as I'm recording this, we're packing up, we're selling, offloading, donating 90% of our possessions in order to move to Spain. Like we're only storing mementos here in Australia where we're getting rid of everything else. And I was just walking through our house this morning and there's all these empty spaces in our house. Like we've gotten rid of a massive wardrobe in the kids' wardrobe, in the kids' room. We had this big timber dresser just as you came into our kitchen, which is gone. There is two huge units in the office that have been, are now gone. There's all these clear spaces in our house and it's like there's just more air breezing through our house. And that's how I have felt since the process. It's like I've created that deep declutter for myself as a person, which creates so much space for all the good stuff, all the right road stuff to come in. As I said, I feel like I've got a huge toolkit now that I can draw on and an understanding when I'm in a situation and it doesn't always happen in the moment. You know, I can kind of flare up and kind of do my old Lorraine left road patterns, but there's an awareness now that I can kind of calm down a lot quicker and go, hang on, Lorraine, okay, what happened? It's almost like you get your private investigator hat and go, all right, Lorraine, what, what happened there? So were you in transference there? Or did you start running a pattern? Or was that your dark side, the dark side of your intellect getting involved? You know, what happened there? And I can sit with the situation now and go, ah, that's what happened there. Interesting. Okay. So now that I know that that's what happened, this is the tool that I can now use to get myself back on that right road. And just to give you one example, we were driving back. So we went to Port Macquarie to Wade's parents for Christmas. And we were driving back after Christmas and we were like talking through myself and Wade, the kids were asleep and we we're talking through like our, essentially creating our like master list of everything we needed to do to be ready to move to Spain. And we're like, did this whole list and it was huge. And we talked about our dates and all the things. Then Wade just kind of casually dropped in. Oh, I want to do my Philippines trip. So he was supposed to go to the Philippines for four days last year. He had two friends that he wanted to go with and they just couldn't get themselves organized to go and coordinate time so they would all go the same dates. So we just got pushed back and pushed back. And then I just assumed, well, it's the end of the year. We're moving to Spain in early February. Well, I've just assumed he's not going to the Philippines. So he's like, oh, I want to do my Philippines trip. And I'm like, sorry, what? We're moving to Spain and you want to go to the Philippines. And he was talking about going like within two weeks of us moving to Spain. And I'm like, there's going to be so much to do. I'm going to be so under pressure. Like, you know, no, like full on spat the dummy on it. And he's like, babe, you know, what are you talking about? Like, da, 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 da. like and this is the thing, right? And this is the problem. <laughs> 
when one of you has done the Hoffman process and the other hasn't, you know, he's also running all his patterns. And of course I'm running patterns. It's not like you just stop running patterns because you've done the Hoffman process. So this is the problem, particularly in intimate relationships. And this is the work that we've done with our therapist. And you know, I've studied for a long time is I will run a pattern, which then triggers one of his patterns, which then triggers one of mine. And then it's just, you know, a shit show. So I'm like running patterns like an absolute mofo, you know, doing 110, he's driving 110 kilometers down the highway and the freeway. And I like, I'm not talking to you. I can't even talk to you anymore. You know, hello, pattern of withdrawal. So he then goes quiet. He puts on some music and I'm just sitting there like stewing on the other side of the car. And then I'm like, okay, Lorraine, you're on the left road now. How can you get on the right road? What's going on? And I realized that I was running a transference on him. So what trans- transference means is that because our parents raise us, they become almost like our imprint of what people are like in the real world. Okay. So all the great stuff and all the not so great stuff, like we do it to our kids, like Wade and Wilder and Exy. So what happens is that when you go out into, you know, you grow up and you go out into the real world is that, what is it? No matter where you go or what you do, you see mommy and daddy and they see you. I think that was the kind of rhyme that we learned at Hoffman. So it just means that if you find that you're like really activated by someone else's behavior, what it often means is that on some level, you're recognizing in them, that person, something that your parents did, like a pattern that they ran that really upset you as a kid, right? And we all do this. Like even the best parents in the world are going to do this. They're going to create this for their kids. So I realized that I was running transference on Wade from something that one of my parents has have done and has done. And I was able to say to him, like I had a script. I said, I realized that I'm having a negative reaction to you, Wade. I could say this word for it, but obviously I won't because it's personal and private to, to myself and Wade and our family. But I was basically able to say to him, I'm having a negative reaction to you because I'm seeing you as being, you know, X, Y, Z, like his behavior. That is making me feel X, Y, Z, the feelings it was making me feel. And I can see that that is a pattern that I learned from, you know, my mom or my dad or both of them. And I was able to say that to him. And then I can look at him and go, oh, you're not that parent. Okay, cool. And then from there, I mean, it wasn't like super easy to rebuild, but it was a hell of a lot easier when I can see what's going on. And then he went, okay, thanks. Like, I appreciate that. And then we could figure it out from there. So that's just one example. Yeah. There's a multitude of these every single day. So another observation that I would say to you, and I've kind of touched on this already, is it was the scariest, toughest work that I have ever done. And as I said, I've spent tens of thousands of dollars and weeks and weeks and weeks doing the work on myself. The Hoffman process was the biggest work I have ever done. It was also the most joy-filled, energizing, enlightening, loving miraculous, magical work that I've done. Yeah. It kind of, (laughs) the pros and the cons and the tagline for Hoffman process, like it's on my water bottle from the Hoffman process is when you're serious about change. So what I would say, you know, a lot of people have said, Oh, would you recommend it? Like, do you think I should do it? And I would say hundred million percent. Yes, I would recommend it, but I would just say, so I would say yes, because I think everyone should do it. It's the best work I've ever done. I will 100% be encouraging Lexi and Wilder to do it when they're older to go do the Hoffman process. But I will say you need to be ready to do it. It's not a retreat that you go on to kind of have some shits and giggles and have some cool stories to tell your mates over a Sauvignon Blanc. Like it's not that. It's big. And everyone is there to do the big work. And everyone's big work feels and looks very, very different. So I would 150 million percent recommend it, but I would just say don't go into it 
going, this is just, you know, I'm here for a laugh or a bit of a buzz. Like it's not that you will come out a profoundly different person. And yeah, (laughs) that's my recommendation. Wade's really keen to do it, for example. And what I would love to have done, but of course I kind of wanted to go and see if I liked it. And then he could see if it sounded like something he wanted to do. What I would love to have done is I did the November one. And then because it runs every two months that he would do the January one. I think that would be cool because then you've both got the same language. Like I've tried to share as much as I can with him about it, but I've had a a life-changing experience that he hasn't yet had. So I think it would be really cool to plan forward and like one couple, one member of the couple do it one cycle and then two months later, the other member does it. I would not do it with anyone I knew. I was actually a bit nervous about knowing anyone that was on the process. Yeah, and I definitely wouldn't do it with a family member. And actually one of the women who went on the retreat, she's got a very, very big family. She's a bit older than me. And she's got, like she said, the problem they have now is that the whole family wants to do it, like all the kids and nephews and brothers-in-law, sisters-in-law all want to do it. But she said, we've essentially got a traffic jam because they want to give space to each other to do it on their own at the retreat. So <laughs> given the amount of family members she has, I'm like, oh my God, it's probably going to be like about five years before they, they all get to do it. But yeah, I would definitely recommend it. In terms of questions, I had some questions on the Hoffman process. Someone asked, is it helpful for people with trauma? I would say yes, absolutely. There were people there with various different types of trauma who had really, really difficult experiences in the past. And I mean, I haven't asked them, but from how I saw the facilitators engaging with all of us, including those people who had had really, really triggering experiences, they seem very trauma-informed and trauma-trained. So yes, I would say 100% it is. That said, you can do a call with the Hoffman process. So you can do like an exploratory call if it's something that's drawing you. And I just need to be clear, I don't get any commission or affiliate links or I paid in full to do the process, but it is something that they offer where you can do a call with one of the facilitators to see if it's right for you. And they will tell you very clearly if it's right for you. And was it what I expected was another question. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, as much as I knew what I was expecting, because I did go into it without, I think there's a book and stuff. I didn't read anything. I wanted to go into it and be, I guess, yeah, I just didn't want to go in with lots of expectations. But in terms of what I hoped I would get out of it was a really deep healing for myself and for all the people around me. That's what I got for sure. What surprised me most was the other question. I think that trauma response I had on one day that that really took me by surprise. Like I didn't know what was happening. And it was only when I spoke to my facilitator after that session that I said, you know, what the hell's going on? He's like, you're having a trauma response. And that was, yeah, that felt, yeah, holy crap, that really shocked me. I wouldn't say it surprised me, it shocked me. I think what really surprised me was also how much I enjoyed the expressive exercises. Like I would have thought I'm quite a restrained person, particularly like I'm a restrained person with other people. Like I feel like as probably most people who are in relationships would say like their partners see the darkest side of them. And definitely like my family of origin would have seen the darkest side of me. It surprised me how much I expressed that express, how I enjoyed that expressiveness, like how good it felt, like how cathartic it felt to get it out of me, like to move it out of me, whether that was physically or mentally or emotionally. So that really, really surprised me. And I think the other thing that probably surprised me was the the level of connection with the group. Like I've seen it when I host retreats, how bonded the women are by the end of it. And that's beautiful. I think the level of bonding at the end of the Hoffman process is like a whole other stratosphere because you have shared so much of your deepest, darkest stuff. 
Um, another question I got, this one made me laugh. Is it culty? I got that question. Like, is it a culty thing? They said they've been interested, but they've been scared off by culty vibes. No, not at all. And I've actually been part, I've done a little bit of work in Landmark, which I think some of you might be familiar with. And like, if I was to compare the Landmark experience versus the Hoffman process experience, it is night and day. There is no recruitment process within Hoffman. So when I did Landmark, you basically get asked to take like someone close to you back on the last evening. And there's, I would say it's quite a hard sell at Landmark at that evening, which I found a turn off. There's nothing like that at Hoffman process. We were given a pack of information if we wanted to give it to anyone, but there's no hard sell at all. It actually feels like almost the opposite. It's if you loved this, tell people about it. That's all. And I think what Hoffman relies on, which is the case, is people coming out of the experience and having the experience that I've had and then just very organically talking to other people about it. And then if those other people feel called, they can have that no pressure call to talk about it. So yeah, I didn't get culty vibes at all from it. Someone asked how much it was. So I think the full price of the program is 7,000 Australian dollars. I did the early bird. So I paid kind of booked early and paid early. So it was six and a half thousand dollars. The early bird was weird. The money was only due two weeks before you were, you were going on it anyway. So I was like, okay, this is pretty good. <laughs> pretty cruisy. And so, yeah, that's how much it was. I would have paid double, if not triple that for the experience that I had. That's just my perspective. That was the best money I've ever spent on myself, on my future self before. The last question I had, there was other questions, but I feel like I've addressed them during this episode. Was it woo-woo? And like parts of it were, like when we talked about our spiritual self and definitely, you know, contemplating our own death and that side of things could probably be considered woo-woo. But so much of it is grounded in psychotherapy, like solid psychotherapy models and the facilitators are not woo-woo. They're very connected with their spiritual selves, as you would hope they would be, having done Hoffman process and being trained in it. But they are very grounded in reality. Like you're not kind of bouncing around, I don't know, burning sage and as much as I love sage. like, And, and this is the thing, I am quite woo-woo, so I'm very comfortable with that. But there was quite a few people in the group who I would say were hardcore, not woo-woo. And they still had an incredibly transformational experience and felt very comfortable in that environment. So I don't think it's woo-woo. I think for any woo-woo elements that are in there, it's very balanced with, as I said, the kind of the more intellectual, theoretical side of it. So yeah, that's my Hoffman experience. (laughs) I hope that for those of you who had all the questions that you were asking me post-process that this has answered your questions. Of course, if you've got any other questions or you're kind of thinking about whether or not it's right for you, I mean, first port of call would be to have a call with the Hoffman Process peeps. And I'll put the website link in the show notes to this episode. But yeah, beyond that, please do reach out on Insta. Would love to kind of answer any questions that you might have. And again, just to remind you, I get zero kickback or referral fees or anything. And the reason I I wasn't going to do this episode, but the reason I wanted to do it was there seemed to be a very strong appetite for more information about it, which is why I wanted to share this. So thank you for joining this week's episode and hearing all about my Hoffman process. And actually there's something that just popped into my head that I haven't addressed is the benefit. I think I've talked a lot about the benefits from like personal relationships, that standpoint, but I would also say just from the business experience, you know, coming, I feel like I've come out of it a lot less reactive in business and with a very different 
I mean, I use my tool, these tools in business. I don't just use them personally. And it's also made me very aware of, you know, if you go back to those four different elements, whether it's your spiritual self, your emotional self, your body and your intellect, it's made me very aware of who's driving the car at any one point in business. For example, I can see that if I just really want to buy something and or like invest in something for the business that I can feel now. And that's my emotional self kicking in going, well, I just want it. Like almost like foot stamping. And as opposed to almost like having this engagement with my intellect and my spiritual self and going, okay, well, is this the right thing for the business? So I think it's made me a lot more aware of, because that's the thing, like I'm only one person. It's not like I just put on my business hat and then I'm just this fully robotic version of me in business. Like that's not the case. I'm I'm the same person, whether I'm at home or with friends or in my business or off doing yoga, you know, it's me. So I think it's made me feel a lot more empowered in business as well, because the same patterns that come up at home are the same patterns that come up in my business. So yeah, I just wanted to address that. I just realized I didn't really touch on that. And I'll actually share these photos around the time that I published this episode I took a photo of myself. Oh, do this, by the way. If you do the Hoffman process, take a before selfie and take one after. I took one on the Saturday morning that the process began. And I took another one on the Friday morning as we were leaving the retreat venue. And it's very interesting to look at those photos side by side. In the before photo, I look great. Like I look bright and fresh and happy and all the things. But I get this sense when I look at that version of myself, I'm hyper alert like hypervigilant, like very on, like on. And when I look at the photo of myself afterwards, my face looks totally different. I look softer. My eyes look so much deeper and my face just looks so much more relaxed. It's really crazy. So if you do the Hoffman process or you know anyone who's going to do it, do tell them to do that because I think I was the only one that did it. And when I was taking my after photo and I was showing it to like my fellow participants, they were like, shit, I wish I'd done that. Because obviously once you're on your last day, that opportunity is gone. Okay. I'm going to wrap up this episode now. Thank you so much for joining. As I said, I will pop the link to the Hoffman process in the show notes for this episode. And beyond that, if you've got any other questions or observations, would love to hear them. It's always so good to hear from listeners to the show. So please do reach out on Insta and also through the boldarling.com website. If you've got any kind of questions or thoughts, sending all my love. I will look forward to hosting next week's episode with you again. Thanks for joining us this week, you bold darling you. It would be just brilliant if you could subscribe, rate and review the show wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Your efforts will help us reach more bold darlings so we can inspire and empower them too in their pursuit of a wildly fulfilling business and life. We'll catch you back here next week. And in the meantime, you can find out more about Bold Darling at bolddarling.com or follow on Instagram for more Bold Darling insights at underscore bold darling.